fucking Scottish with the lowest of the low, the scum of the fucking earth, the most wretched, miserable, servile, pathetic trash that was ever into civilization. Some people hate the English, I don't, they're just Okay, welcome to episode 7 of the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast. I am Cammy Black and this is Gav Harper. Evening. That is Andy McClellan. Good evening. And he is Rory Baldwin. Hello. Uh, it's not been a good weekend for Scotland uh, after another trip to Twickenham ended in failure. It's been 34 years since Scotland last won and that's now extended to at least 36 uh, but instead of dwelling on the misery of the past three and a half decades, we thought we'd open with a positive. Uh, so, Andy, what's your favourite album of the last 34 years? <laughs> uh, I would have to plump for either Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, uh, or as a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, I would have to go probably with The Rising, uh, would have to be my, my favourite of his recent work. Oh, those, those are both fine choices. What about you, Rory? You said you would take some time to... Have you spent as much time on this as you have on looking back at the game? Uh, pre- pretty much. Um, my album would be uh, Versus by Pearl Jam, which had a big influence on me, on me as, a, as, a, as a teenager. Um, and also possibly the, uh, the fact that the songs walk the tightrope between barely restrained anger and... Uh, just going overly rage and tip tackling Elliot Daly. It's, uh, <laughs> I think that's quite appropriate. You managed to, get, managed to get it, keep it relevant then. Yeah, um, yeah. well, I think uh, Rear View Mirror is also appropriate for most people, apart from <laughs> the players who've had to do a review session and us who have to talk about it, but everyone else will be putting it in the past and leaving it there, hopefully. And, and Gav, what did you go for? Uh, I think, like Andy, I'm a, a big Bruce Springsteen fan, so I, I would probably. I think any of it. the rising was actually my my choice as well. So Andy's Andy's got in there first on that one. <laughs> uh, I've I've gone for Texas Jerusalem Crossroads by Lift to Experience because I've it's just been released uh, re released on its fifteenth anniversary and that's all about the apocalypse, uh, which brings us nicely on to uh, England sixty one Scotland twenty one at the weekend. Um, Can you uh, don't d- say that again. <laughs> that is painful. That's it. What I'll do is I'll be any any mention of the score from here on in. I'll bleep out. Sounds good. <laughs> um, interestingly, now does anybody know the last time that Scotland uh, shipped more than sixty points? Uh, World Cup two thousand and seven, maybe. Nope, longer, further further back in time. Really? Yeah. Uh, May 2001, uh, 74-41 to the Barbarians at Murrayfield. <laughs> Barbarians. Barbarians, yeah. I think John Loma played in that game as well. Uh, he did oh, yeah, that might be. I think, uh, I think four or right, five yeah. tries. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, before yeah, yeah, yeah. that, it was uh, June 2000 on a tour of New Zealand where we lost 69-20, which I think might be the last time Scotland toured New Zealand. We've <laughs> <laughs> not been down there for ages. Yeah. Um, Gav, um, Ian's match report on the blog. Um, the one positive I think he he had out of it was that resale prices for early tickets on Via Google have probably dropped considerably. Um, but you were cautioning us last week to calm down. Uh, do you think Scotland got overawed by the occasion and the hype? A little bit, yeah. I think the <clears throat> obviously 
Fraser Brown incident um, was probably an, an example of that. I think he, we were all maybe a bit carried away at the start, and uh, by about ten minutes in, when England were ten 0 up, and we had a man in the bin, we looked really up against it. Obviously, the injuries didn't help, and stuff went against us. Raynal had a shocker, um, but we could blame all these things. We still got horsed by forty points. Uh, yeah, I think we probably were. A bit overawed. And Rory, I mean, you know, Gav's mentioned the Fraser Brown card within the first couple of minutes. Do, do you really think that affected the game? Yeah, I mean, when I when I, I was I was sitting uh, watching this in the, in the pub in Inverness, and um, when I saw that card, it was like it's like that bit in the Matrix where um, Morpheus offers him the red or the blue pill, and there was you could see two alternate realities, but the first one that jumps into your mind is this is going to totally screw the game up. It's going to be like um, the Hogg and Russell cars that we've seen before, which just basically throw Scotland's game out the out the window and don't let them, you know, get on with the plan that they that they've put in place. You could you, you know you could see that reality kind of um, panning out, and unfortunately, they did take the red pill. They lost control, and it became you know very very sort of old fashioned Scotland, um, which I think is probably why you know reactions have been so. Um, kind of polarised to, to how they played because this this team hasn't really been that sort of Scotland for for a year or two and um, I think even if we you know even if we'd taken the blue pill everything goes right with injury Freynal gives Barkley and Watson half a chance at the breakdown and if Alex Dunbar had woken up on Saturday morning um, I think the England performance would still have been you know they would have beaten us by at least 10 to 15 points maybe 20 um, aside from the Two knock-ons in the lead-up to their final try, they made you know very very few mistakes, um, unless you count you know reckless tackles and neck rolls and things that got missed. But yeah, they were they were clinical and they were they were worthy winners. And and Andy, do you think? I mean, Rory's you know talking about the way that England played and had we maybe shown up, the scoreline might have been. <laughs> different but maybe England still would have come away with a win do you think there's more Scotland could have done to adapt to what was happening? Yeah I mean I think to be totally magnanimous about it which pains me to say it I mean England were excellent on the day and I think most teams would would have struggled with that performance but certainly you know guys like Dunbar had had a shocker Russell I thought had had one of his worst games that we've seen for, for a long time um, and as the guys have said, you know, there were so many things that kind of conspired against us. Uh, how much Scotland could have done? Yeah, they could have limited the scoreline, of course, but I think we were just outclassed. And, and look, I think the Fraser Brown thing, you know, we all said beforehand, the only opportunity that Scotland are going to have to potentially do something is to try and blitz England like we did with Ireland in the opening 15, 20 minutes. And, and that entire game plan just went straight out the window. Um, so, yeah, obviously huge disappointed, but um, for me, it, it, the England performance was the best that I've seen under Eddie Jones and the best I've seen from England in, in a hell of a long time. And I'm not sure how much we could have done to have stopped that that onslaught, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Scotland, if they want to know what like a, a snarling professional winning team looks like, which is yeah. obviously every team's kind of aim then you know they just shipped 60 points to to one um england yeah. had the foot foot down for the full 80 minutes and yeah you know they're they're the 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 second best or 
you know, the best team in the world. And it's not something we like to believe. We like to think, yeah, but they're not that good. They haven't really fired yet. And unfortunately, they did fire. And uh, they showed us why they've been unbeaten for so long. Yeah, and look, and I think that's the thing. You know, I think Eddie Jones was calling for a huge reaction from his players, obviously, after the Italy debacle that they had. And and he got that in bucket loads from them. The, The aggression legally and illegally, I think, from all of their players from 1 to 15 in their bench was a real um, a real lesson to a lot of our guys. I, I, for me, we were just bullied. We were just totally bullied across the park in every single position, which with um, with the best will in the world, do we have the, the skill, the size, the strength, the mental capacity? I don't know to stand up to that. I, mean, I think it was just such a hard lesson that perhaps this team had to learn, albeit shipping 60 points is a hell of a lesson to take. Do you, I mean, is this is it a case then? Do you guys think that we've just played England in the wrong week? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think it was a bit of a perfect storm. I think several injuries to us um, obviously weakened it, but then that performance, they had a lot of the media were on their back. They were being talked about incessantly beforehand. They were being criticised on all quarters. And I think, like I say, Jones got them riled up and, and has really instilled that bit of dog into them that, that yeah, he's now kind of became known for. I think they wanted to go out, equal the records, keep up the Grand Slam. You know, they're, they're chasing all sorts of things. And I think maybe at Murrayfield, maybe week one, it might have been different. But, um, yeah, I think we were, yeah, I think it was the, the wrong time to, to play them for me. But, Gav, I mean, three of the tries came from almost identical line-out moves. Is is that a case of naivety or under-preparedness from Scotland or were they just out-thought? I think, yeah, out-thought. Um, I, would, I would like to think that we expected England to run moves like that. The, the line-out moves that they run with Billy Vanupola uh, or Nathan Hughes as it was um, coming off the... coming quickly off a, off a mall. They run that all the time and to be honest, Ford's probably George Ford's probably not had his, his greatest championship. Um, between him and Farrell, they absolutely cut us to bits, and then Joseph just did the rest. Uh, our midfield defending was at best a shambles, um, and then as soon as we lost lost Hog, we just looped all over the place. And is, I mean, Rory, is there anything, I mean, at that point when Hogs off, I mean, Scotland uh, were, I think England were in, certainly in uh, double figures, but maybe the game wasn't lost. I mean, at that point, is there anything that Scotland could have done, you think, that might have kept them in touch? I'm not sure. I mean, you look at the uh, the the first, probably the first couple of, I mean, the three, tri- the three near identical tries that they scored, the first couple are very similar and the third one is just very very good play from England um, I think just a lot you know a lot of teams would have struggled with that one but the first two it I don't know whether the whether the brown cards kind of shook them up but you could see they were they were kind of crabbing sideways in the defense and not you know usually they're going up as a straight line and you know and making making their tackles but it was like they were waiting to see what England were going to do they are it's almost like they were. They knew England would have some some fancy moves, so they're saying, "Right, well, show us what you've got, and then we'll decide what to do." Um, whereas before, Scotland have just been up in in the faces of the opposition and shut them down quickly, uh, and they didn't. You know, they didn't shut them down. They sat off them, and these guys, all they needed was like that extra second to just um, to get the ball, you know, round round down Dunbar onto his outside shoulder, 
um, and then Sir Joseph Free. I mean, you know, he he had a great he had a great game, but it was made quite easy for him to start with. And but you know, England are a confidence team. Those two two early soft tries, and you know they're flying, they're delighted, and you know they were just trying everything they tried kind of came off. And who I mean, who who do we lay the blame with for that? You know, the, the change in the defensive patterns is that? Do you think that's Matt Taylor? Do you think it's the players just being sort of confused on the pitch? My guess would be it would just be execution on the day. Um, I can't think that Taylor asked asked them to do that. He you know he wouldn't want them sitting off. Uh, I mean Russell, I think was maybe at fault for for one of them. He rushed up a bit bit too quickly, and there was a you know the gap outside him, kind of similar to what he did to, to John Davis in the in the Wales game. Um, I guess Dunbar was the one who was most often lying flailing on the ground as John and Joseph ran past him. So you could look at that, but I think between uh, probably Russell Jones and Dunbar, they should all probably be. I'm sure they will have they will have owned up and taken taken that on their you know on their shoulders at the team sessions today. And then, and then Andy coming out in the second half, um, we, I think you know England have stuck thirty past them. Scotland got the Gordon Reid try. Is there more Scotland should have been done, or more they should have been targeting in the second half? Yeah, I mean, I think for me the well, the breakdown, which is going to be such a contentious issue. I mean, we were, again we were dominated there, and I think the only way that I could potentially see is getting any sort of parity or any sort of success. Would have been getting clean ball. Um, you know, we still had. We saw with the Jones tries, for example, that he took them exceptionally well, and we saw with the face play that they went through that actually they were quite clinical when they did get up that end of the park and and, and score. But I just think again we were dominated in the contact and we were dominated at the breakdown through England's back row dominance, but also through the referee's interpretation. In my opinion, of the back of of, of the uh, of the rock area, and so I think you know we were struggling with. Already, all the injuries, and you know, with 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 a, a kind of out of shape backline that was kind of cobbled together, uh, I I couldn't really see us doing anything that we could have done differently. To be honest, I I can't think of anything that would have made much of a difference in that second half. Players could have kept their shape better, of course. Um, I guess a small glimmer is that they did keep going until the end to a point, but uh, I mean, in terms of what they could have done differently, I I really don't know. I, I, just on on that, sorry, on that. Um, at half time, when you're thirty points down, you're you're not or thirty. What we're twenty three points down at half time. You're not going to win the game, mm. um, and to think you are daft. So, and I'm sure they knew that. So, I don't understand why we didn't when we did have the ball try and play more rugby in England's half and make them play play out, as opposed to what we did was. Kind of almost give them the ball on a on a bit of a plate, and then yeah. they ripped they ripped us to bits time and time again. I just think the other thing is that towards the end, when when Jones scores his second try, there's still 15 minutes left, and we could actually have come away being totally gubbed and left with a, a four try bonus. But then we just wasted so many chances. This makes two two half decent breaks, and we probably should score off both of them. But we contrive to just waste them. Yeah, I mean, we can maybe we can maybe pick up those points when we go through the player ratings. I mean, usually yeah. um, I get the person who wrote the ratings to justify their reasoning, and then get the rest of you to chip in. But um, given I was responsible for this week's ratings, um, Andy, you've agreed to step in. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think uh, 
proved quite a contentious one so far, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, I think before 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 we start, I mean, in terms of the ratings, I was trying to go along the lines of Brody's No One Gets a Ten, and when I was sat down, I mean, I, I will admit, I, I did write them in a rage um, after the match, and I was probably a bit raw, and I think probably Rory realised that due to some of the typos he had to correct, um, but when I started marking it, it just felt pointless giving out ones, twos and threes because um, I think given the scores that low, it just felt pointless. It just smacked of giving certificates for effort to the slow kids at school sports day and, and the professional athletes. And I don't think they should be treated like children, which is what a lot of the comments and a lot of people on Twitter have, have sort of said, oh, give them a break or they've tried really hard. And I, I'm just, I think at that level, trying hard unless you're someone like Eric the Eel, that guy in the Olympics who couldn't swim and then tried to swim, unless you're somebody like that, I think try, trying hard and still losing by that margin isn't good enough. Um, so that's that was my justification for it. And I know Gav doesn't necessarily agree, but um, we, we, we might need a new scoring system. That might be. Maybe it's the scoring system that's wrong and not me. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, some of the guys, I know Al's probably, he's done the most uh, player ratings over the years, I think, and I mean, he, I think he starts starts everyone at a six, and then kind of works roughly from there, depending on whether they have a good or a bad day, but I mean, you could easily do have done that and still ended up at zero for, if I mean, if you were scoring individual sort of incidents. I mean, yeah, the, the players... You know, that judge them by the standards they want to be judged. So, you know, let's not treat them like previous Scotland teams um, who who did get, you know, certificates just for turning up. Um, these guys want to be held by a higher standards. And I think, you know, I think I think we should. If it was me, I probably wouldn't have given them all zeros. But, I, you know, I get your get your rationale behind it. Um, it's not necessarily a, an objective uh, reason thing. It's it's our it's our, it's, it's like um our gut reaction to the game immediately after it's happened you know that's what that's what these these really are so um from that point of view it was certainly successful yeah and i think if we want to get better if we want to cement our place probably in around the middle of the top 10 then we've got to be more hard harder on ourselves i think i don't think we can just shrug our shoulders and say oh well we're punching above our weight i think that's the next step scotland need to take is Stop believing we're punching above. Yeah, well, I'd yeah. be comfortable with our weight and say, well, we that's this is where we are. And I mean, I think that before the match, Vern Cott was talking about, and, and or maybe it was O'Halloran actually was talking about trying to change the mentality from we're punching above our weight to actually no, we we are as good as the teams around us, and we should be aiming to win all these matches. Well, maybe that's a signal that our mentality has changed because we were supposed to be the underdogs the other day. We were rubbish. We're usually good when we're underdogs. So maybe, maybe now we're, you know, it's a sign of a superior team is that we we, we don't play well when we're underdogs. When John yeah, Barclay, think... though, when, when Barclay speaks after the game and he says that it was the performance was useless, um, I think that's a sign that our mentality probably has changed because in the past, a, a Scotland captain or a, a Scotland coach would have made excuses or given reasons as to why it didn't go our way and the ref was hopeless and the injuries and so it goes on. But I think, you know, the fact that he was able to stand up and go, yeah, we were pretty, we were pretty bad um, shows that, you know, there, there is a level of performance that's expected and we just came absolutely nowhere near that on Saturday. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's it. I mean, if if these players and us as fans have got aspirations of of progression and, and, and improvement on recent years, then, then I think Cameron's right that you have to judge these guys in, in a harsher light nowadays. And, you know, some of them um, have been touted about, you know, playing, playing for the Lions, um, some of them securing big money moves abroad. And, you know, if this is if this is where they want to be judged and where we want to be as as, as Scottish rugby fans, then then I think we do need to kind of get past that era of, like you say, just saying, well, good job, lads, thanks for trying, and, and let's kind of all move on from it. I think we need to be this critical of, of the players in this case. And, and like you say, I think John Barkley kind of epitomised that afterwards with, with, his, with his pretty brutal honesty, I have to say. Yeah, I don't think any of them would thank us for giving them fives for effort either. Do you know? I don't think that's necessarily what they're looking for. I think it's probably quite... Well, I felt it was probably patronising. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you hear all the stories about Johnny Gray coming out from the Glasgow camp and the Scotland camp and his work ethic and the standards that he's setting himself and setting those around him as well. And like you say, if you're just going to give him a five for effort, then that kind of flies in the face of everything that we're being told. And, and I think really everything that Cotter tried to build during his reign as well is, is about standards and professionalism that perhaps wasn't there in Scottish rugby beforehand. So, yeah, look, I mean... There's donuts all around, I think, for several of the players, obviously, in the ratings, but it's fair if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I tried to be fair with Stuart Hogg. I mean, he he, he went off early, and when he was on, he did well enough, so I wasn't, I didn't give everybody a zero. I did give some points out. I could have been uh, harsher. Felt like, felt, like, felt like Britain at the Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually, do you know off the top of your head from the starting 15 how many points in total you gave out? Not off the top of my head, no. Have you Ten. worked it out? Ten. Ten. That was at Ali Price and Stuart Hogg? Yep, spoiler alert. Ten out of 150. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Well, justified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, not I even averaging one a point. That's not even averaging one a player. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think some of those... I think probably uh, Hugh Jones might have been the harshest done by it, uh, given that he had a pretty good last 20 minutes when, I mean, admittedly the game was, you know, the game was gone. Um, but, you know, as he did score two tries against England at, at Twickenham. Um, so maybe he, he could have got two points and Gordy Reid could have got one because he got one as well. To be fair, uh, I did, on reflection, I think Gordy Reid worked harder for his try than... And was maybe because he spotted the gap in the English defence to get the try. He probably deserved more than Hugh Jones in terms of effort. I think Hugh Jones was in happened to be the player at the right point along the line when the ball was getting passed to finish it off. Compared to yeah. Gordy spotting the the gap in the defence, you know the mismatch with I think it was um, Ford and Farrell possibly standing by the posts. Yeah, I think that's right. To be fair, I think. Hugh Jones, for all he did when we when we had the ball and he you know he took his two tries well. That midfield was an abomination in defence. Um, so yeah, probably knocking. If he if he'd got a five for for his two tries, knocking them off for the the three yeah, we shipped, probably won. probably just about right. Yeah. Two out of ten average, maybe. Yeah. yeah I think. I mean. I think if you look at the you look at the scrum stats, actually, um, you know Scotland's scrum, which was you know was going to get pulverised by this um, vaunted England front row full of forwards who Scottish teams have beaten in, in this season, um, 
did you know they did they did okay. They gave away a scrum penalty uh, early doors, I think. But then after that, oh, it was it was pretty solid. I think they, they got one against the head or something according to the stats. It's a shame um, they got pulverized everywhere else. Yeah, yeah, but at least you know that, that's there's hope hope for hope for that going forward to Italy maybe because they'll have you know they have a strong strong scrum as well. Yeah, definitely. I think anything that we can take as a positive from that fiasco is probably yeah. a good thing. So, yeah, definitely. Find those straws and clutch them. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we should we start then and go go through one to fifteen, I guess, Cam, then and just run through your ratings of each of these players and see if you do wish to revise them at all? Or yeah, if, uh, okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> I, think, I think. I mean, like I said, with Gordy Reid, I was maybe a bit hard harsh um, on him. He did. You know the scrum. Rory's right. The scrum did hold up well, but I guess my thinking was it's all very well holding up well in the scrum. But if there's no point giving players a platform if there's if you're not getting anything from it or you're getting completely pulverised elsewhere, he, he worked. I thought he was quite smart for his try, and I don't think we give. I think probably just because of his a bit like girth with his appearance, we don't maybe give him enough credit for his um, thinking because it, yeah. it was quite a sneaky dash over the line because of the mismatch. Um, and Xander Ferguson again. I, there's a lot of people saying that you know he's. I've said he needs to grow up, and I think I, we were laughing about it after the Wales game, saying, "Oh, it's great that he gets in the mix and he stands up for his fellow players." But I think there's a point where it's a it's all front, and you need to get on with playing the game. And I think the there was quite a few afters and. It's all very well fronting up, but I think it does show a weakness in front of the other if, to the opposition because it shows that they're getting to you. Yeah, and... maybe maybe a case of right or wrong time and, and wrong place when you're when you're in a proper test against somebody like Wales or Ireland or even France, you can get away with doing stuff like that. But when you're being drilled with thirty points, it's probably you end up looking a bit stupid. I think well, that's I it. Think... I think yeah, if you're on the if you're being if you're being if, if you're losing and you're doing that, it show it just shows weakness. If you if you if you're winning and you're sort of rubbing it in people's faces subtly and you're up for it, then that's great because it gets the crowd behind you. It shows you're up for it. But I think yeah, there's a time and a place for these things. And there was well, that's what, that. yeah, that's what England did to us. Yeah, and again, Fraser Brown. I, I when I first watched it, I I thought he'd been hard done by to be yellow carded, but the more I've seen it, I, I can see it. I mean, I. Personally, I think a yellow card is enough. I know people think it should be a red, but he it's just to do with the angle and the way he comes in. I don't think his technique was brilliant, but I don't think there was anything deliberate about it. And, and the head knock no. was more a clash of heads, I think, rather than him driving his head into the ground. So I thought a yellow was fine. I think a red, and we'll see what happens after the sighting commission, I think a red would be harsh. But again, that it, he was still chatting to the referee in the latter stages of the first half, asking why he wasn't giving a yellow card, and it, it, it's fine for Barkley to be talking to the referee, but you don't, you don't, you know, we were moaning about the Wales players in mm. the previous podcast about chatting to the referee, and there's Fraser Brown saying, "Sir, why is he not getting a yellow?" And yeah. it, it's not, it's not the done thing. And if we're going to be harsh on Wales for chatting to the referee, we ought to be harsh on our own players too. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think for me that was occasion Brown and Fagerson. I think they're. I guess their age or their relative inexperience kind of showed up. You know, with Ferguson, like you said, getting involved in the afters a little bit too much. You know, we all like to see our players standing up for themselves, but front row when they're being not necessarily dominated, although they had been previously. 
I'd rather see them just concentrate on their scrummaging first and foremost. I mean, for me, you don't really seldomly, well, you seldomly see Nell, for example, uh, winding oppositions up that much. He's, he's more just grinding them into submission in the scrum. And, you know, with Brown chatting back to the referee like that, it did leave a little bit of a, yeah, of a sour taste in the mouth for me as well. Yeah, I mean, I was maybe, I, if we look at the second round, I was, hot, I was I've revised Richie Gray. I think probably he was the best forward on the pitch, and yeah. it was maybe a case of I'm giving everybody else zeros and I'll give him one too because he was on the pitch for for most of the match. But um, yeah, he probably was a five. Really, um, I thought he was the, the probably the standout forward for me. But I don't know how the others feel about that. Yeah, I actually thought he played all championship. I think he's uh, outshone his brother. And um, yeah, I thought he, he kind of gives you everything. I know we've said that's not enough. But sometimes it's it can be hard to influence a game when you're a big lumber in second row. Um, so yeah, I, I thought he kind of did his bit, um, and he carries a lot of ball when we when we carried a lot of ball when we did have it. Um, and he was probably stood watching that that midfield and. And the, the debacle that unfolded when England scored twice at the end, and yeah, yeah. I, I would probably agree that maybe five's a bit a bit strong, given that you've dished out ten points to the whole team. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that would average yeah. it as what that would average it as one point per player. Then we're getting there. That's somewhere along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think for for me, Richie Gray, you know, he's, he's kind of damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. You know, a couple of years ago, we were all saying that he needs to get more involved and, and needs to work harder and be more aggressive. And, and I feel the Six Nations, as you say, Gabby's really stepped up and, and, and is now kind of eclipsing his, his brother. And, and for me, has been alongside Watson, probably the form uh, forward for us throughout the tournament. And I think his ball carrying in particular he is making yards, um, and I think he's came on leaps and bounds as well. So for me, yeah, I would I think I think the zero was a little bit harsh. Yeah, he made fifteen meters um, and had twelve carries on um, Saturday. Sorry, which say, is, that, say that again. He made fifteen meters with fifteen 12 meters carries. on twelve carries, which yeah, <laughs> but okay. yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe revise that then, actually. Maybe five was too much. Yeah, I don't look- that down a couple. <laughs> But but Johnny, I thought Johnny had a poor game, um, yeah. and uh, like I said, he he falls over a lot, and I, I think we probably said the same about Richie a few years ago, and he just needs to stand up more. He should be hard to bring down, but he goes to ground far too easily and just flops on the ball, yeah. and you know he's the size of him, and the, he should be just striding out and tearing through defenses, but he just sort of hits his first man and just flops on top of the ball. Well, I mean, Richie, and, and when he first came came on, and now Johnny in particular, for me, it almost looks like that kind of basic way that you were taught well, when I first started playing rugby was as soon as you hit contact, you turn and present the ball to the opposition to get out to your to, to your scrum half to get it out. And every time you see, for me, Johnny Gray carry, that's the first thing he does is his first inclination is to turn and, and present the ball. And I don't feel like he makes, I think Richie is now, but I don't feel like Johnny, like you say, is barging through the tackles. I think somebody of his size and by all accounts, power should should be doing. And he also, in defence as well, his tackle stats are, are, are phenomenal. But sometimes it feels like it's not. It's never an easy tackle in international rugby, but you never see him smash somebody backwards or hit somebody that hard like Courtney Laws does or, or, or Jason White used to do for Scotland. You, you, know, you just I, don't see him do that. 
by the way, Andy, I tell you, nobody was uh, nobody was smashing. Or Richie Gray wasn't smashing anybody out the way if he made 15 metres off. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely horrified at that. That's dreadful. <laughs> he was, um, I'll tell you, um, yeah, Ryan Wilson also made 15 metres off 12 carries. Um, oh, it gets worse. Hamish Watson, Hamish, stats. Hamish Watson made 8 metres off 6 carries. Wow. Yeah. England defence is good then. Should we, should we take that as the... Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty poor. So. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. I thought Barkley... And, that, and Richie, Gray was the, Richie Gray was the top top ball carrier as well. Top ball, I think so. Let's have a look. Um, did Richie Gray make the most carries? Hang on, yeah, have a look down. 13, yeah. You got 30, 12 on the official site, but yeah, Richie Gray... Richie Gray... Oh, they, on, must, they must have recounted... Yeah, he's, well, I've he's got the ones that they issued to the press. Maybe they give the press misleading ones. And possibly. Well, he was ones. on 13, then uh, Ryan Wilson did 12, and then after that it was uh, Hugh Jones with 10, I think. Yeah. And then after that it's all single figures. We didn't, we didn't have the ball for a lot of the game, so you can understand that a bit, but um, yeah, that's rubbish. Yeah. yeah. That well, I think somebody just mentioned Barkley there as well, and you're and your ratings, you mentioned that his communication with the referee was excellent, challenging on uh, his inconsistent decisions and reluctance to show cards. But as a captain, he must shoulder responsibility for not tightening things up or switching to plan B after the second try. Yeah, zero. I think zero. yeah, I think zero, zero. I, th- I, th- I thought his communication is probably uh, up there with the best that we've had in recent years. I think he comes across a lot better than... Greek, and I don't know why it is. He just he's a bit more natural. He's a bit more um, affable. He doesn't seem chirpy. I think you know sometimes mm-hmm. Greek can come across as a bit chirpy um, and a bit chippy. Whereas Barkley's a bit more oh come on ref. And and the referee did seem to be listening to what he was saying and taking on board his comments. He didn't really act on them, but he he wasn't responding and by telling him to shut up, he was just sort of saying okay, I'll have a look at it. And that's maybe what we've lacked in the past. So that that side of it was fine, but I think when you when when you're shipping that amount of points when when England are pouring through, I think there should have been somebody on the pitch saying, right, we need to rip up our game plan and try something completely different, even if that's let's just defend them into submission and try mm. for some penalties or just anything because what they were trying to do wasn't working. And I think as captain that has to lie with him um, although it was interesting, I think, and we'll, we'll talk about Finn Russell, but when when Scotland got that penalty that led to the try in the end of the first half, Russell looked to the sidelines and to Nathan Hines rather than yeah. speaking to Barkley, and that's that. I think that was quite telling whether or not it's because they were sort of expecting to rely on Laidlaw throughout, and Barkley, this is only his second game, and um, so yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Is, is there a bit of that that maybe shows Laidlaw is this team's captain still and you know they've they've obviously relied on him so heavily um over the, the last couple of years and then John's kinda of come in taking over and you know he's he's huge experience but it'd be easy to say he was overawed by the, the occasion as well as as captain standing twenty nil down after probably the same amount of minutes, you know. Yeah. He did look. He did look quite a little sort of fidgety when he was waiting in the tunnel for um, yeah Marler to go out and get go out or go out first. He, I mean, 
I thought he was good, but you've—I mean—you've got to feel for him. The problem is that one of the main areas that Scotland were getting no change in was the breakdown, and that's pretty much his area. So a lot of the times, you know, penalties were against him, or at least he was at the bottom of a pile, and there was a penalty against Scotland. Yeah, um, well, and it must have been incredibly frustrating for him just to to get you know to get no change out of the referees. Because it's not like I mean, okay, they you know they'll have trained to to play to the you know to the letter of the law or to bend the rules a bit or whatever, but they're not deliberately you know planning to go out there and play illegally at the breakdown. You would hope, so you know it comes down to the referee's interpretation. And if what you've planned to put in place just the referee has decided is completely illegal, you know that that's pretty you know that's uh, that's harder to change than than say working out what to do if Italy don't commit to a ruck. Well, and yeah. I think that's the thing. I mean, I think I, I tweeted it during the during the match as well. At one point, the referee had said to him, that, to Barclay, he didn't want to see him slowing the ball down or, or see the Scottish players slowing the ball down at the rock. And that kind of stuck out for me because Scotland had picked basically three sevens with the mind of trying to slow the ball down at the rock. And uh, I mean, whether the referee was known for this beforehand, but that is such a bold statement for a referee to come out and say that basically you're saying they... One of, the, one of the main reasons for having a number seven in the pitch is for them to slow the ball down at the rock. So, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of felt for Something him in, in that we regard. Were, we were maybe a bit guilty of on, on Saturday was particularly, we didn't touch on it much there with the, the two Grey brothers, but we were very poor at getting our tacklers out the road. And then it meant that when Barclay or Wilson or Watson got over the ball, he gave a he gave a pen against us anyway because our tackler was was still lying at Ben Young's feet and England probably played the the ref much much smarter than we did. Um, I thought after about an hour as well, Barkley had given up trying with the ref um, and was trying to make his tackles and, and keep some kind of shape. But yeah. you know, we obviously were it was long gone by then. Yeah, shall we move on to uh, to Hamish Watson? Yeah, uh, this, yeah. I think this was my favourite one that you wrote. It sounded like you were actually breaking up with him, to be honest. He um, <laughs> managed some of his trademark runs, but exposed at the breakdown. Back to touring with Scotland in the summer, no longer deserving of a nickname. I mean, are, are you going to go around to his house and pick up a box if you see these that you lent him at some point? Or like... <laughs> Maybe. It was heartbreaking. <laughs> we, you know, we, we sort of... I don't know, it was... Yeah, it was like seeing somebody that you've really... I don't know, it's like meeting a hero. I think that's what it was. You know, it's like... I can't think of what to compare it to, really. It was like, you know, just everything just fell from my eyes. It just wasn't the same. And he really ought to have been up for that match. And he just was completely anonymous. Like I said, it, you know, he's hardly made any metres at all. I, over what did I say? Did I say eight meters and six carries, and that's. Yeah. I, I know. I know. Scotland didn't have a lot of ball, but it, it just. No, I think. I think he he was building to being a cult player, and that this undid quite a lot of that. I think, and I know that's probably harsh, but I I think he's he's going to have to just to, to sort of start from start from zero again for, for me yeah. before I'm before I'm prepared he- to call him pinball. He'll have uh, he could he could have some fun next uh, next weekend against Favaro and Parisi. You know that's a Italy have still got a pretty pretty useful back back line. So if uh, Watson Watson has it, can he could have a big game. That's his. You know that could be his sort of his sort of game. Him against Favaro could be uh, could be tasty. 
Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's true. I think that's that's his chance to sort of show that it's not just been a, a sort of he's not just had a good few months for you know from because really mm-hmm. I think he he struggled against on his debut he, he came on against Italy and they were sent off for a yellow and it could have been a number of players that were sent off for collapsing them all and then he sort of was in the wilderness for a bit and he's played well for Edinburgh and then he did really well in the autumn. He did well in the first few tests, but it's it's just to sh- he needs to show I think that it's not a it's not a fluke that he can be consistent with that I think before he we can sort of hold him in that regard of cult players you know, like, with the like likes John of Chunk, John Hardy, yeah, or, or Chunk, that, those sorts of people that we give nicknames to, yeah. Or Jeff Cross. I mean, you know, if he if he can if he can at least sort of be calamitous. So all he really, all he really well, I mean, he's had the he's had the card on de, on debut, so all he really needs is a beard. Well, that, and that the me- yeah, that's and the medical what degree, possibly. Well, I could I might forgive him a lot for the beard if if yeah, yellow card on the day. De- although he didn't knock himself out when he got the yellow card, he wasn't he <laughs> wasn't yellow skill. carded. Yeah, he wasn't yellow carded as he was stretched unconscious from the pitch, which is um which is why I think we all had held Girth in such high regard. True, very true. But uh, you also mentioned Ryan Wilson uh, tackled well, but not quick enough to the breakdown to clear up bodies. Largely anonymous, zero. Yeah, I mean he's the the, the carries. He's uh, all, yeah. evidently done well with the carries, but you know to what end? I think they, like Gav said, a lot of the time, are a lot of the time I think our defenders were isolated as you know our attackers were isolated as well. So you'd have maybe you know somebody would get tackled and instantly there'd be two English bodies over the ball, but our players were quite slow, and that's the sort of, you know the likes of the Grey brothers and um, Wilson should be clearing those guys out. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like, I, I, I find it difficult to really give any of that back row trio any sort of uh, any sort of praise. I have to say, it was it was a, a certainly a long, tough afternoon for them, and they were all very disappointing in their own in their own regard. So, yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, number nine, Ali Price. So, switched to the wing as part of a makeshift Scotland backline, was superb in the air, and coped well with being asked to play an unfamiliar position in a match like this. And five out of ten. Yeah, well, I felt sorry for him because it, you could see Pergos, Russell, and Price having a discussion, and I don't. I'm not clear of Pergos. I don't know if it's come out since whether Pergos was sent on to tell Price to go to the wing, or whether he went on and and between the three of them they worked it out. But I probably thought that Price should have stayed as scrum half and let them carry on playing the game that he was there to play with Russell who's you know they, they produce a lot better I think for Glasgow and and you know stick Pergos on the wing um, but I thought he did really well I thought he, he, he was really good in the air I was quite it was quite surprising actually he was quite competitive and I thought he he deserved he deserved something and I felt like five out of ten was probably fair given it was quite a big ask given this is what his third international game yep yeah, no, true. And no, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, it, it did kind of worry me. It was a bit like the Brains Trust meeting when you saw poor Gosh Russell and, <laughs> and Price kind of standing there having that little chat. You thought, oh, God. But yeah, I mean, I think Price for me probably has the edge on Pergos in terms of just natural speed. So perhaps that was the reason why he was put out on onto the wing. Um, for me, I would have preferred, to, like you say, to have seen it the other way around because I think that Russell does get better ball and gets the, or certainly Price gets the best out of Russell, I think. 
that we've seen this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did, he coped well. And, and as ever, even after a full 18 minutes, his hair was still utterly immaculate come the, uh, come the final <laughs> battle, as it always seems to be. Yeah, maybe we should have given five alone for that. <laughs> sure. Far too strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving on to Finn Russell, uh, incapable of changing games when his team are on the back foot and won't be world class until he can. Zero out of ten. Yeah. Again, it's just he. You know, he's he's had some really big games this year, especially for Glasgow. But they've all been when the the team he's playing for, Glasgow Scotland, are on the front foot playing well. And I think he needs to be able to change games. And I don't think he does that. I think he is very good when things are going well for his team, but he doesn't have the ability to, yeah, sort of turn things around. And I think he's got the capability of doing it, but until he does it and does it consistently, I don't think he's he can be up there with other tens in the... Six Nations, unfortunately. Yeah. I think the sort of basic mistakes he made, there was uh, the pass on our on our try line that he just flung wildly across the the face of our own posts was was a bit stupid. Um, but we know what he's what he's got, um, and I think he maybe was again guilty of panicking a bit when we got 20, 25 points down and tried to really force things rather than saying right well let's the game's gone let's turn England let's make England play out of their own 22 and then compounded it with basic errors like when he kicked the, the restart out in the full yeah yeah I mean I think uh, I'm not sure uh, I t- totally agree with Cam in t- that he can't um, change a game I think he I think he you know, he always because of the way he plays, he he has the possibility to change it. But my issue is, is that he can't really; he doesn't seem to control a game, um, and and that goes down to things like knowing when is a sensible moment to throw that pass across the face of his goal, and you know, five minutes into the game, is when they're a man down is probably not it. If, if that were if that was when it was, it was certainly early on. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. I think um, that's, that's the fair fair point in that. You know he can certainly change a game, but whether he always changes it for the better is probably not. Not. I think, yeah, it's it, control comes down to knowing when to try changing the game. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be trying to change it with every move that you make. And I think I think England were what twenty nil up maybe, and then Scotland scored a try, and then you know that's twenty seven. That that's you know that's not awful with with sort twenty five minutes thirty minutes played. Um, that is the time to kind of just shut up shop for, for say, five, ten minutes just to try and keep the momentum with, with them rather than, you know, gifting easy possession to England or, you know, giving them another another easy set piece to, to pull one of their backs moves. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, a match like this, I think, was when Russell needed somebody like Laidlaw or mainly Laidlaw outside of him. I think... We saw against Wales that when he's in the mood, when he's smiling, when he's up for it, then 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 he can do things that many tens in the world can't. But when he is under the cosh, I do feel that he needs that supporting, controlling element next to him because I I have reservations as to whether he'll ever be able to control a game in the way that the great tens can. He'll always be able to do things that many other tens can't, but whether he'll take control and run a match um, for 80 minutes, I am not entirely sure if, if I, I hope i'm wrong and of course hope that that develops but um it does worry me that i don't know if he has that in him 
Yeah, I, I, think, I, th- I think he probably. I think he probably has. I mean, I th- when it was interesting when he got injured. Um, apparently, Townsend told him to go off and see a psychiatrist. I'm assuming a sports one, rather um, <laughs> 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 than the mill one. Um, but I thought that was quite interesting, and I think you know, Townsend as a mentor, especially coming into the international setup, will do a lot for him, and I, th- I think he's got the capability to do it, which is why I was as hard on him as I have been because I think he. He does play with a smile on his face, but he's maybe a bit guilty of being too laid back at times and trying to yeah. force things. And needs with a bit more maturity, I think he's got that ability. And I know we've said when Finn stops trying things, um, that's when we want to worry. But I think if he can learn to try them at the right time, yeah, he he, he can be world class. But until he does, I you know I, I think we do need to be harder on him. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think this is the thing. You know, we all want to see him play and, and carry on doing those things that that, that that he can do and playing with that smile across his face. Um, you know, does he smile because he plays well or does he play well because he smiles, I guess, will be one of the conundrums that we're going to face in, <laughs> in the future. But, um, yeah, I mean, I hope I hope that he can pull it back out of the bag. Uh, moving on to Visser then, you said largely anonymous, part of a defensive setup that parted like the Red Sea for Joseph Tries. One good break in the second half, but wasted when he was too easily turned over. Zero out of ten. Or yeah. nil, as they say. Nil. Nil. Yeah. Nul. I th- yeah, I-, I think probably uh, Vern Cotter made the wrong call. I know he did a good game against Wales, but I think against but that's against the poor Wales team on the slide. I think probably against England he should have stuck with Maitland. And I don't think that necessarily would have stopped England scoring the tries that they did. I just he, I just don't think he was the right pick for this game. Yeah, I mean I think I think having Maitland on there would have made a difference uh, especially defensively as well. I think Maitland's defensive work in the first couple of games was was very good and you know not to say that he would have stopped England um playing so much but Maitland has, I think, more of a tendency at times to try and come looking for work. I mean, I, I don't think Visser touched the ball in the first half. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if he actually had any touches in the first 40. And aside from the two breaks that came to nothing in the second half, the one where he tried the pass over his head, he's got put into touch, and then the one that he knocked on, um, I think that was his only involvement. Uh, I think partly that, again, as we said kind of a couple of weeks ago about Seymour not having any service, I think is partly to blame. But um, yeah, it just—I I, I do feel that he was the wrong call. Maitland for that match might have been a better, a better option. I think obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing as well. Yeah. But, but uh, Maitland would have would have helped a lot. We wouldn't have looked as cataclysmic when Hogg went off if we had somebody who knew had half an idea of what they were doing standing at the back trying yeah. to organise us. To be fair, Tommy Seymour's a great winger, but um, he'll certainly not be pulling on a, a 15 jersey anytime, anytime soon. Yeah, Seymour made three carries in the Oof. entire game. That's, that's, that was that was three more than Viss managed in a half. So true. <laughs> but, uh, our our back three, to be fair, were were so starved of any possession, and and you know we end up with Dunkey Weir at fifteen and Price on the wing. It's like Wales all over again, and we did it for what like nearly an hour. Yeah, and I think that with the sub with with the substitutes, I mean, we've t- we've already talked about. I think the centre pairing and Jones and Dunbar already in the at the top of the podcast, and 
Um, but I think with the subs, I, I know it was a makeshift Scotland, but again, I think that's where it comes down to you need to change your game plan at that point. And we'd already had it against France, and uh, you would have expected that um, the, Cotter and the coaching staff could have anticipated this would be an attritional game because it's England, and given what happened against France, that there should have been some plan B that says, look, what happens if the most, you know, our key players get annihilated, what what sort of game should we switch to? And I didn't see that. We were still trying to run things and we were still trying to force things and yeah. Yeah, we were we were running moves with that we would run with our full back line with Ali Price and Dunkey Weir. Um I think the the other point is that, you know, the players have talked about we train for instances where Hogg and whoever else go off. But we just we we looked we looked like we had no idea we totally panicked and we had no idea what what we were doing. Yeah, I mean they they would have trained for for Hog going off, but you know did they they wouldn't have trained for Hog going off and then Bennett coming on for him and then going off four minutes later. And you know I I would be very surprised if there was a Duncan Weir fullback playbook in the, in, in uh, Vern, Vern Cotter's. Uh, I tell you what, briefcase. if there is, it needs to bend. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that probably was just one play, which was keep him as far away from Billy Vunapola as possible, and that's why he was at yeah. fullback rather than, say, yeah. playing filling in at ten. I mean, yeah, they could have put Russell to twelve and shuffled Jones out, maybe, but I suppose that would have, you know, it's more people out of position. Comment of the week. Right. Um, um, I think I think we're probably done with that. Yeah. We're gonna, we could talk about this for hours. Um, yeah. So well, it's not. <laughs> Uh, I'll wrestle the host chair back from Andy. Um, yeah. And uh, Andy, who have you picked out for comment of the week? I have gone for <laughs> Steve Mac. I think it is on player ratings. And he said, I agree with Cami here. I'm glad the article didn't go for scraping the barrel for scraps of optimism approach. Uh, as for this being a typical Scottish overreaction, no, if Ireland shipped 60 points to England, there would be a massive negative reaction. It's a sign of expectations of a good team. And my Irish mates at the moment are being very critical of their team and it's supposed it's supposed all black crushing credentials, their words, not mine. And I think to be honest, after uh, the, the, the kind of sheer optimism we had after the Irish and Welsh games, um a dose of realism's been called for and, and I think this is a, a fine example of that. Uh, Gav, who've you who've you gone for? Uh, I quite like this bulldog on the, the your player ratings piece. Um he just says we came second, which I think sums up Saturday quite nicely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the comment? We came second. We came second, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> we were we were maybe we were maybe second by a long, long way. But um, yeah, it was uh, it wasn't easy to watch, and I, I quite like that just for its simplicity. Uh, Rory, what about you? Um, I've gone for one that's a bit that's it's forward forward looking and that's um, on the the post today with the the injury news and the sort of update. Uh, it's from Andy Slow who said, um, "I can't stomach being beaten by Italy and finishing fifth. It's just unpalatable with all the good we've seen from the squad and sends out a message that we're still not really good enough. Getting trounced by England when we're trying to show we belong at the top table is bad enough." but to couple that to defeat with the whipping boys of the tournament, and they are this year, would be a disaster for our development and confidence. I want a bonus point win, and I want to finish second in the table. I want a good performance for Vern, who's done so much good work and deserves to go out in a high mark of our best finish in the Six Nations. The players need to go out there, win the game well, and redeem themselves. 
and I think that pretty much speaks for itself. But I think yeah, uh, Andy's definitely uh, definitely right on. Um, Italy will be targeting this game. They always target this game, and this week, you know, this last weekend will have given them um, quite a lot of encouragement, I would think. But you know, we we gave them a, a pretty good um, pretty good beating last time, and uh, I think yeah, we need it to. Was, we it need was pretty to rubbish that. against France as well, weren't they? Yeah, I mean they, they they drop off. I think probably the thing is that they might you know they might be they might be slightly slower to drop off against us because they'll always know there's that potential. You know, we like the, a couple of years ago when they put together that what the game where Watson's first cap where they put together those rolling rolling malls late on yeah. to just to win it. Um, but I think you know if we can if we can somehow get get two or three of the guys you know if we could get say two out of Hog Jones and Seymour back I think. Um, yeah, and at home, sell out, sell out crowd for the first time. You've got to think most of them are Scotland fans. Yeah, Potter's um, last match as well. Potter's last match. I think uh, I think the boys will, will want to do. I'm not going to say something special, but to do something, uh, something, uh, something good. I mean, for I said on Twitter, I think earlier this week that for me, the best or the result Scotland should be targeting is try bonus point win and keeping Italy to single figures. I mean, Rory, what for you would be? A good result. Yeah, so I think certainly uh, I would like to see a, a try bonus point. All the other teams have have had. Uh, I think. Well, I'm not sure about France. Did France get a try bonus point against them. They did just right at the end. Yeah. Don't know Wales, if, did the, Wales did didn't Wales, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's right. They didn't because there hadn't been one in the first. There wasn't one in the first weekend. Well, yeah. we beat Wales. Um, Ireland got a bonus point against them. France got a bonus point. England definitely did so. Um, yeah. For I think. You know, again, it comes down to that thing. You know, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be compared with? Who do we want to, you know, see ourselves as as being equal to? Um, I think we should definitely be aiming for a for a bonus point. That's going to sound it's going to sound cocky, probably, but um, I think that should be realistic in the same way that the you know, if the team don't want to get zeros, then they should be going out and aiming for a bonus point without necessarily talking themselves too much. They should have that internal belief without you know they don't need to share it with us, but. Yeah, and Gav, do you want to have a crack at what you think the points difference we're looking at at the weekend? Um, I'd like to see us. I'm not sure what, what other team scores have been against against them. I can't think off the top of my head. But I'd like to see us post the, the kind of biggest margin against them. I think that would send out a bit of a statement after events at Twickenham. If we go and put, say, 35 on them, um, so if we won, maybe say forties, forties to ten, that would that yeah, would I mean, be me. I think England beat them forty-six fifteen. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd like to see us, you know, go a bit a bit better than that. But by the way, I think Italy will come to Murrayfield with something up their sleeve. Yeah, and uh, you know they obviously always always target us. Uh, I think they knew England would steamroller them, but I think they genuinely believe will come to Murrayfield believing that they can beat us. So, O'Shea and Cat and Venter, I would imagine, will have dreamt something up. Um, so we'll need to be ready for that as well. And I think that's about having some or, or kind of wits about us early on. Yeah, I think. I mean, that it is. It goes back to the the comment there. It's if Scotland, if we really want to to you know to move not move almost move up a tier, but move up to the top top level of the you know to the tier tier one or you know the um, sort of middle of the top 10 in the world say then we've got to move past 
struggling to beat Italy. We've got to just do what the other teams which are, which is just expect to beat Italy and, and beat them reasonably well every time rather than having these little struggles and these games which we, we usually win, but it's a struggle. We need to stop making that a struggle and move on to working out how we beat the big, the bigger teams. And I mean, Italy are going to, you know, I think uh, O'Shea and, and Venter and Kat, they're going to have Italy firing nicely, maybe not, you know, not this year, but in a year or two, um, they're going to, you know, they're going to come back and present themselves as a, as a serious problem for, for Scotland, I'm sure. Uh, I've no doubt of that. So for now, we need to, you know, we need to kind of, build up that mental confidence the same way as England have over Scotland when we go to Twickenham. It's that, you know, there's almost an expectation there. And Andy, Andy, very quickly, do you want to just say what you think, what's your prediction for the score on Saturday? Uh, Scotland by 35 points, Tim Visser hat-trick. <laughs> He'll not even get picked now. <laughs> exactly. Just, just a quick one. I don't know if you saw the tackle percentage rate uh, against France for Italy. Italy no. completed 65% of their tackles. They missed. Tell you what, Brend- Brendan Venter is a good coach, a good coach <laughs> exactly. as well, and, and that is an abysmal statistic. It's very, very poor. I think the average they had up until this game had been 80%, which was very, very poor, but 65% against France, 54 missed. So hopefully they carry that form over for us as well, and we can, uh, yeah, stick 35 points on them. <laughs> I'll, uh, before we move on I'm, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Argentine for my comment of the week We've, he's been commenting the week before but uh, just for making me google what persipacious meant because uh, he called me persipacious so I can't remember what it meant but I did google it at the time um, it wasn't that complimentary but uh, yeah so uh, <laughs> well done Argentine for making me google something Okay, we're going to have a quick chat about our fantasy league going into the last weekend. Um, very briefly, Gav, you've moved up 10 places. Oh, that's because I looked at it this time. I remember. <laughs> he's um, in the top 50, isn't he? He's in the top... Just, Gav is at, uh, Gav is at 50. Um, I'm at 36. I moved up 11 places, um, which I don't, I don't really understand. I, I had George North, mainly because I couldn't transfer him out when I tried. Um <laughs> But um, Andy, you're not doing badly, are you? Uh, I think I'm just below you now. I think we were neck and neck for a while, but uh, I think I'm mid forties as well. But I, uh, I actually picked Jonathan Joseph on Thursday evening, no. oh. and did not save my team. But <laughs> was also also countered by the fact that I also brought in Fraser Brown as well. So swings swings and roundabouts, Brad. But uh, yeah, that was a bit of a, a bit of a kick in the proverbial. And Rory, any any progress for you? Uh, I'm I'm still inside the top 100 and one place above Brody. Um, yeah, I just had a. It, it was kind of a mix. It was a very, very mixed week. Um, the fr- my French guys finally fronted up. Picamoles, Fiku, and Serran were you know they went went pretty well. But then I picked uh, Sexton ahead of Farrell, and you know Sexton had that yellow card just before half time, which which lost points. Um, I pretty much in the backs. I pretty much you know did like Scotland and went out and did everything the opposite of correctly. 
Um, I picked Elliot Daly, who was injured for most of it, ahead of Hugh Jones, who obviously got two tries. And I had I picked Hogg as my captain, so obviously he didn't Oof. finish or score very many points at all. Um, and my England winger was um, Jack Knoll, who you know I had Liam Williams in my squad, so if I'd have picked him, then we did we did done okay. But my pack picks were okay. Um, none of the none of the bench got more points than than any of the starters. But yeah, I'm sure there were there I was below below community average as usual this week. Yeah, I think um, we've got Indomitable Crocodiles is on 810 points, um, which must be some sort of fix. Um, we'll, we'll get him on the podcast, future podcast and get him to tell us his secret. Tell us what he does. I, mean, he's, I, I think I might, we, we should probably have a, a rule, I think, because we get rid of most of the top 10 if we have a rule where you actually have to pick your own name because there's too many of these Indomitable Crocodiles, Awesome Stalks and Shiny yeah. Badges. So okay. I think Ready we might have to... only uh yeah we'll do that Sorry. next time. Just to jump in, I've actually just checked the scores and realised that I dropped twenty nine places and I'm now seventy second. So uh... <laughs> 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 yeah, that's depressing. Yeah, um, I'm trying to see it. Yeah, Ian here I think is still doing uh, the best out of the writers. He's at twenty three. He's dropped down six places. He's on seven hundred thirty five. So I think it's unlikely that any of us will um will end up in 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 top place but but we can see it's the legally mandated lions chat the legally mandated lions chat we've heard so much about it that it makes us sick but we've still got a chat about who gatlin's gonna pick right uh it's time for our legally mandated lions chat uh, we'll rattle through this because uh, we've already dwelled uh, far too long on the game on Saturday. Um, but before the game on Saturday, Warren Gatlin said that Scottish players' chances of making the squad depended on the game and whether they could put a performance in away from home. And we were talking up the chances of nine players. Um, but Rory, do you think there's any chance we'll actually surpass our 2013 total after um... that? It's tough. After, it's tough after that game. That was a, you know, that was a huge pressure game away from home in a hostile environment against the world's top team, which is normally what you face as a lion going to New Zealand. Um, it doesn't really get closer to a sort of dress rehearsal than that. And unfortunately, most of our guys flunked it. Um, Hogg, I think, will still go because he didn't have, uh, you know, he, he went off pretty early, so it's almost he was kind of spared, spared um, the kind of the tarnishing with that with that brush. But uh, I mean, if you look at like the the second rows, they just didn't match the the intensity of the English guys. Um, Alan Wynn and Luke Charteris are starting to play well for uh, for Wales, and you know, I mean, Johnny's not going backwards, but he's he's not you know he's not putting his hand up. Um, Richie, I think Richie still has a chance, but um, and in the back row, you know, if Matthew Reynolds re- refereeing any of the games, there's no point in taking Watson or Barkley. <laughs> Um, I think you know Hugh Jones is Hugh Jones has still got a chance because he he still looks looks class in attack. Um, if the guys can prove that that defensive stuff was a was a blip, um, you know I think he's got the sort of super rugby credentials, and we'll probably see Maitland again. So you never know; he might play his way back in because Gatlin's probably a fan of him. And what about you, Andy? Do you I mean how many players after that game do you think we'll see going with the Lions? Yeah, I mean, I think probably two or three, to be honest, if, if, if we're lucky. But Johnny Gray, I think, is the one that's done his... I even think that he's gone backwards. I just looked at Joe Launchbury on, on, on Saturday, and I think it's a similar type of player to Johnny and the work ethic uh, and the way that he gets around the park. But everything that he did 
And I think everything that he's done so far in this championship has just been that little bit more effective than, than, than what Johnny's done. And, and I feel like he's jumped ahead off him um, to partner probably Alan Wynn in the second row. Um, so I think Hoggle will still go. And, and, and like Rory said, I think Jones as well. But I think guys like Dunbar, Barkley have all really just blown their chances now. And Russell as well, potentially. I think, I mean... The the problem we've had certainly in the like the couple of year couple of Lions tours we've had when the blog's been covering it is that the coaches have kind of ignored Scottish players who who we've thought have been better. Mm. Um, but I mean the competition this year is just crazy, especially in the second row. And yeah. I think you know we'd love both Gray bro- brothers to go or, or whatever, but I think you would you would probably be able to accept who they who they choose. You know, I mean I wouldn't have a problem with with supporting the Lions. Even if, if if the Scottish you know the low Scottish representation was down to the fact that those other guys were just playing that much that much better, I'm sure there'll still be some decision that annoys the hell out of me when he you know picks somebody. <laughs> but that's that's just Gatland, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I mean, if yeah, yeah, if if say, um, I mean, Hugh Jones is, is Hugh Jones has next week basically because he's not going to be in any of the European rugby to to make his case, I guess they'll get the tapes of the Stormers if he gets a game for them, but he doesn't always seem to start for them. So um, he might, he's one that actually could find it quite uh, quite tricky. But, I mean, I think Scotland will also possibly be helped by uh, the fact that we're in Australia, which is the closest to um, to, where, to where those, uh, you know, to when the tour is happening. So if they need emergency call-ups on tour yeah. and they need it quickly, um, getting getting a, a token Scotsman or two extra could could be done that way. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if if or when Nell can get himself fit, I still think that Nell's got a chance of, of making it in there if he can prove his fitness beforehand, because I do think he's, on his day, is probably the best scrummager, um, or if not one of the best scrummagers uh, out there in the Northern Hemisphere. So I would I would be confident if he can get himself back fit. Although Roundtree's now forwards coach or scrum coach, isn't he? So actually <laughs> that might that might ruin the chances again. But well, on the other hand, he's not Scottish. No, so I might go his favour. Use him, yeah, yeah. Gav, what about you? I mean, quickly, how many Scots do you see going on the Lions tour after that? I think probably we need to be more realistic. I think we've probably carried away with people like Watson uh, has been good so far. Came up way short against against England. Is unlikely to prove anything the rest of the season. He's probably done. Um, Finn Russell was dreadful on Saturday. I think that probably rules him out unless he plays a blinder against Saracens uh, and against Italy. But for me, probably I would still be looking at Seymour as an option. Uh, Hogg's still my test fullback for the Lions. Um, one or two greys. Um, I think Richie, for me, is in the pole position of the two of them to go. Um but I'd like to think so. Probably four, four or five. What about um, Fraser Brown? If Fraser Brown has a great, you know, if he has a ding-dong battle with Jamie George in, for Glasgow against Saracens, um, he could play his way back in? Well, I'm not sure whether that tackle... Well, I think it depends what happens with the sighting. I'm not sure if if, you, if Gatlin's serious about looking for people who aren't going to be overawed by an occasion. I'm not sure how much... That tackle undoes that. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's the Saracens game coming up. I guess if Glasgow beat Saracens, possibly if, if Brown plays and they beat Saracens and progress, 
that's the only way I think I could see him coming back into contention. Well, and I think that Glasgow game is going to prove so decisive for so many of the Scottish players because, let's be honest, even if we do put 35 points on against Italy next week, I don't think that's going to do much for their, their credentials. So I think the Glasgow boys against Saracens, this is their their chance, I think, to, yeah, to put their hat back in the ring. So a lot is going to depend on that. <laughs> Hands in the Ruck now, it's our Any Other Business uh, section of the podcast. Um, plenty to talk about this week, uh, but we'll try and keep it short. Uh, Rory, um, you were threatening to go with Reynal for your Hands in the Ruck, is that what you've done? Not really, no. <laughs> what I've, I've have you gone, gone for? I've gone, I've got, I've decided to to, um, to try and to win back all the uh, win back all the rabid Scotland fans who, uh, who have been so critical of our, our wonderful post this week, so I'm going to I'm going to go with uh, England being patronising. Um, there's two two incidents here: one off the pitch, one on the pitch. Um, John Barkley getting penalised for uh, for and for adversely reacting to uh, Itoji yanking him out of the yanking him out of a ruck by his neck, and then Barkley getting penalised and Itoji patting him on the head. Which I mean, I you know I get why players do it when another player. Gives you know gives away a penalty. They pat them on the back to make them feel even worse, and you know to try and get inside their head. But yeah, that was just. Um, I think I think there's a point at which you do it, and when your team is well in control and has already won the match, really, you know that's just not really very sporting. Um, the other bit of uh, disrespect was um, Greg Laidlaw caption gate or whatever we're going to call it. Um, the uh, the decision to caption him as has lost all five of his tests played it against England or something like that and I think you know you, you could give the guy a, a bit more credit okay he doesn't have a, a particular uh, particular winning record in reference to the game that you happen to be discussing but um, I don't I, I don't think that was uh, I don't think that was called for so I made an attempt to come up with some alternative captions for the other pundits on the panel <laughs> and uh, so for Johnny Wilkinson I thought you could have a caption really good at drop goals but pretty dull to listen to um, and I've gone for I've gone for truth it might be alternative truth but it is it is nonetheless truth um, Sir Clive Woodward his caption could probably have been almost single-handedly con- destroyed the concept of the Lions <laughs> I think possibly, uh, hopefully, Graham Lovell, you know, turn these into graphics and post them all over the internet. I think. And uh, for Sir Ian McGeekin, I thought um, Scotland's second most controversial rugby pundit from Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, that's fair. And um, the one thing that called to mind, I think, somebody on Twitter was saying, I don't know, it might have even been on on the blog, the comment of, "I hope uh, Greg doesn't go back again after the insult." and it reminded me of the Michael Caine quote when he was asked how he felt about making Jaws 4, Jaws 4 and he said, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the house that it bought for me. And yeah. It's lovely. And I thought, if Greg can keep buying those suits with the money he gets from appearing as a pundit, it might not matter how much they insult him. That, that suit-waistcoat-pocket-square combination was just was, was beautiful. I mean, I, he, he pulled it off incredibly. Yeah, and I think, I suspect I know where it's from as well because... Um, the, I don't want to say it's my tailor. It's where I hire my. Um, there's a shop in uh, Jed where I hire my kilt from whenever I go to weddings, which is quite rare, which made it all the more glorious. I think. Nice. Who have you gone for, Andy? 
Uh, well, kind of following on from that, it's, it's the match coverage from both BBC and ITV. Um, I feel like, especially this 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 tournament, commentators constantly talking over the referee when they're making decisions and and or, or talking about the decisions. Uh, several points in the Scotland game, Nick Mullins uh, said to Delalio, who was co-commentating, um, "Let's listen to what the ref has to say here," which is just basically a polite way of saying "zip it, choir boy" to him because. <laughs> I mean, it was it was incessant. It was it was really incredibly frustrating with some of the baffling decisions the referee was making, and Delalio was just rabbiting on about whatever nonsense he is. Um, and also, as well, it, it seems to keep happening that they keep showing highlights, and, and you're missing lineouts or you're missing restarts because they're still showing part of the highlights. It's um, yeah, it's kind of really started to wind me up a little bit, and I don't know if it's just a new thing or I'm just noticing it more, but. It's, um, yeah, very frustrating. Well, you would have thought with all the technology they've got these days on digital that you could have the option of just listening to the ref mic on the red button. Yeah, you would have thought so. I mean, the only thing I would say about coverage is I watched the France game, I think it was, on Dutch TV, and they have adverts every 15, 20 minutes in the game, (laughs) regardless of what's happening. And I'm not joking, they had a uh, a rolling advert for CT scans which seemed slightly inappropriate <laughs> for a rugby match, to be totally honest. But yeah, I missed one of the tries because they cut an advert from that one as well. So God bless Dutch TV and their understanding of rugby. Yeah, it's good targeted marketing, though. Yeah, true. <laughs> know, 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 know your demographic. Yeah. Gav, what about you? Who've, who's had their hands in your ruck this week? Uh, <clears throat> I kind of couldn't resist a moan, oh. another moan about referees and <laughs> Monsieur Reynal. Um, he was awful. I mean, I know we got well, well beat, but he was absolute. That's embarrassing for him to be a a tier considered a tier one ref. Um, to do a Calcutta Cup game, I actually almost would have rather Wayne Barnes refed it because Reynal was hopeless, and I don't even I don't like Wayne Barnes much. But he had a good game, uh, the Ireland Wales game. He, he was alright. Yeah. yeah, I actually thought he was, he was really good. And do you know something? I've been really impressed. I watched him on a one of these programs. I can't remember if it was BT's rugby, rugby show. Tonight. Yeah, 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 that's it. And he was he was fantastic explaining the, the tackle law. And he actually comes yep. across a lot less headmaster-like than I think he did in previous years. And some there was a, there was a point on, on Saturday where... Um, Reynal was explaining something to Barclay and, and Hartley and and understand English isn't his first language and I'm not expecting it to be spot on but at the same time the two captains were looking at him as if to say I'm not really sure what you mean sir you know and but the, the inconsistency in his decision making was, was awful um, I think particularly at the end Graham Love's put a, a video up of the Haskell knock on before Danny Kerr's try and like it's so blatant that how it was missed by 10 million officials and everybody else watching on TVs and stuff that seems to have a say um, yeah I just think yeah. World, Rug- World Rugby have got to do something and look at the standard of refereeing and I'm not one for having all this when refs have different interpretations there's laws ref to them and Every game should be should be ref the same. 
I, yeah. I, I thought the video ref as well, the TMO was poor. And is it the same Garbage. TMO as, as, yeah, he has um, pulled up uh, Maitland mm-hmm. in the, yeah. for, not for his deliberate knock on? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I put it's the first thing that's gone, I've, I've had that has properly actually gone viral, um, which is why I think, I, if I understand things right, that's why I've got a cold today as well. Um, but <laughs> um, the hit on Vitoji and Haskell on Hogg, that I think probably did for Hogg in that match, mm-hmm. the refs pulled it for a penalty, and, and why not only he, but the TMO hasn't gone back and had another look at it, because the Vitoji. The Itoji hit particularly. I mean, I think Haskell. Looking at it again, if you look at it repeatedly, that you could see the Haskell hit to the head either way. Um, but the Itoji thing is just a blatant sort of yank on the neck of a player mm. that's gone past him, yeah. and that's definitely a card. That's the yellow these days. I mean, yeah, I was having a look through the the laws, and I managed to find. So I was looking for uh, the rules on tip tackles, and uh, managed to find a sort of list of directives. Um, which I presume are all still being applied, but you know, there's the there's one there from 2014 or something about squint scrum feeds that everyone's still blatantly ignoring. But it it doesn't say you have to make sure that the feed is straight. It says you have to make sure that the feed is credible, which uh, yeah, they're you know they're 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 giving up on it. Yeah, I think Ruri was saying when we had him on that you just want to get on with the match, but it, it's you know it's it's not even being looked at. It seems. You know, something, else, something else we've given up on is uh, not straight line outs. Mm-hmm. There seems to be oh, a lot more line outs have... go down one channel now and refs are just like, oh, you know what, play on. That's the one thing actually I have to say is I didn't, I should have gone back and given uh, Ryan Wilson one for throwing a straight line out. Yeah, obviously oh, fair play to him for that. Yeah. No, I think you're just going back to the referee. I mean, I, I have a, a, real, a real issue with TMOs that jump in and you know, I think the Nathan Hughes shot on Seymour, I actually yeah. think, was probably the right call not to give him a yellow card. I think had that been a Scottish player hitting an English player and got a yellow card, we would have been outraged. But the fact that he was adamant and had said to John Barkley, I'm giving a yellow, I'm giving a yellow, then the TMO jumped in and said, no, actually, you're not. And then it was just this embarrassing stage of Barkley turning around to the referee and saying, well, you just told me it was at least a yellow card. And he's going, oh, I, I changed my mind, I changed my mind. Mm. And it just, I mean, if, I know people make the argument and say, well, he arrived at the correct decision. But he also saw the same replays that, that the TMO, I think, is Ben Skeen, saw. But yet he had a different interpretation of it. And it just, it really, it winds me up when you start seeing this wild inconsistency. Either it's, it was it was late it was borderline high, but at the same time, the fact that the referee, who in my mind should be in charge of that situation, should say, no, I'm sticking to my guns and giving a yellow card if that's what he deems appropriate, not allowing himself to be overruled. And then, like you say, for other incidents with Atoji, who I think should have been yellowed, Haskell, I don't think should have been, um, there, was no, there was no communication and no chat whatsoever. And sometimes the silence is deafening as well because they're not getting involved. So... Yeah, I think that it's interesting when you hear somebody like Nigel Owens properly bossing their TMOs, you know, and telling them to shut. You, you can actually sometimes, with a good referee, you can tell, hear them saying "shut up" or "get out of my ear" almost. Yeah. And and well, I think that that's what that's what it struck me as. This is this was a guy who the, the referee on the pitch should be the head guy, the guy that makes the calls. And sometimes I think referees get managed by their TMOs rather than the other way around. 
Yeah. Well, there was there was an interview with Nigel Owens a few years ago where, where somebody had asked him about this about running touch and how does he go from being the being the being, being the centre or being the, the kind of man in charge as it were to then being the assistant. And he was very what you've just said there is that he's there to support and put the input in as and when it's asked for, unless he sees something you know that has to be brought to the referee's attention. But he spoke about it being a case of if you bring it to the attention and then let them make make the decision, not jump in and tell them you need to do this because that's that's not that's not their place. I, I know people will say yeah it's about getting the right decision, but it just showed for me a real sign of weakness from him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And something I think I've spoken about before is uh, assistant refs or whatever we call them now. Um, who basically stand and put their flag up when the ball goes over their head and do nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah. What the the two assistants were doing when Paul either gets clattered in the neck or or for the the Hughes tackle on on Seymour, like they must one of them must have been 15, 20 yards away at best. Like I just don't understand what else they're watching and maybe it needs a bit of clarification from. World Rugby or from Sunday to say this is why ARs now don't step in and what the protocol is for TMOs because to be honest the whole officiating thing is all over the place and it only gets yeah. worse when we go back to the Pro 12 when you have <laughs> like that Marius Mitre or whoever, whatever his name is who are would be lucky to ref Prem 1, game, Prem 1 games um, some of the offici- officials in the Pro 12 especially are a joke. Well, it's a laughing stock. Yeah, I mean, it's a total laughing stock. I speak to friends who are Premiership fans, and 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 they just, I mean, they openly laugh at some of the standard of the refereeing as well. And it's in the Pro 12, and it's it is, it's embarrassing. You know, I think Owens um, is is the best out there, um, especially when it comes to PR for himself as well. I think he's done a wonderful <laughs> job of that too. But uh, I think he is the best ref out there. But I, I think beyond that, you know, Lacey and all these guys, it's just it's brutal. I think uh, the, uh, the the one thing that might be good to come out of the, the Dublin Mafia control of the IRB and the World Rugby and the Lions and everything else is that hopefully we'll get a Rugby World Cup in Ireland in a couple of years and that'll be a good good day out. Yeah, there's always sure. that to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, very good. Yeah, we might, and, and we're still fifth in the ranking, so uh, oh, barring... Six nations there. That's not an achievement <laughs> we've been there for No. <laughs> well, yeah, we, 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 so hopefully we're, we're heading to, to a decent draw, I think, barring a, a complete collapse uh, on Saturday. Um I'm I'm just very quickly for my hands in the rocket. It might seem a bit bitter, but I ch- I promise I'd chosen it before Saturday. But that it's swing low, sweet chariot, which in, in twenty seventeen is just the equivalent of collecting gollywogs. It's that offensive, um, and I know that seems bitter after the game, but I don't care. Second <laughs> Yeah, third deed. Good. Well, that's a good as point as any to end it. Um, I would forfeit, but um, I'm wrapped in my Confederate flag or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I agree. I agree. I just wanted to say that no, I'm not a racist. No, no. Well, that's. I'm glad we've. I'm glad we've cleared that up, Rory. I hate to leave. Hate to leave it on that point. Uh, okay, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, I think we've got Rory. You're at the game with Al, aren't you? 
think so, yes. So we're going to, going to try and drag Al on and then Ian, other either Gav or Brody. Um, so we'll be back next week, hopefully with uh, a bit more of a positive outlook on things and we'll maybe have a look back over the um, Six Nations just to see where we stand in the world. So um, don't forget to leave comments on the blog for comment on the week, www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at scottrugbyblog. Uh, and don't forget to leave us reviews on iTunes as well because that really helps. Uh, and it's bye from me and bye from everybody else. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Walter, get the piece away. Walter? You think I'm around there, Mark? It's zero!